scripture reading this morning comes from Acts chapter 11, verses 20 through 26. Acts 11, 20 through 26. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hands was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Taurus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. It's great to see you this morning. We've got a lot of visitors with us. I know it's Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. We're really, really glad you've come our way. And if you're visiting with us for the first time, we want you to know how glad we are that you've chosen to come and to be here with us. Thank you so much for your presence this morning. You know, sometimes the simplest questions can really cause us to stop and think. If you ask people on the street, what is a Christian? Just ask that question. What is a Christian? Think about, you can just imagine the diversity of answers that you would receive. How does one become a Christian? How does one know that one is a Christian? What are the characteristics that define someone who is a Christian? Those questions, while they may seem very simple in our world, in our society, in our day, those questions don't have a uniform standard answer, at least not from the people that you would ask. And so like everything we want to do, let's go to Scripture and let's ask the question of Scripture. What is a Christian? It's a worthy study because you can learn a lot by just listening to the Bible, by just listening to its teachings and paying attention to how the Bible defines words. Now, as we introduce this lesson this morning, I want you to know that if you could get in a time machine and go back 2,000 years to the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 when the church began, they didn't start out calling themselves Christians. As a matter of fact, it was a number of years before the early disciples began to refer to themselves as Christians. Let's just trace that for a moment. Open your Bibles, if you would, to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. So in Acts 2, the church begins. People repent of their sin. They're immersed. They're baptized for the remission of their sins. And they become part of the early New Testament church. And I want us to just notice for a moment how these people referred to themselves, how the Bible refers to them. If you're looking at Acts chapter 5, notice verse 11. Acts 5, verse 11. What were these early believers called? The Bible says in Acts 5, verse 11, that after Ananias and Sapphira were struck dead because they had lied to God, that great fear came upon all the 
church. They were called the church. And the word church just merely means a group or assembly. And the book of Acts tells us that what those early believers called themselves was they called themselves the church. They called themselves the group. They called themselves the assembly. The Greek word is ekklesia. And so you ask somebody walking through the streets of Jerusalem, who are you? They would say, I'm a member of the church. And they didn't have to say which church because there was only one, the church, Acts 5 verse 11. But let's not stop there. Turn over to Acts chapter 6 and look at verse 2. And notice what early believers called themselves. Acts chapter 6 and verse 2. The scripture says that the disciples, the, or the apostles, summoned the multitude of the, Acts 6 verse 2, the multitude of the disciples. So what else did they call themselves? They called themselves the church, Acts 5, 11, but they called themselves disciples, Acts 6, verse 2. And if you look at verse 7, same chapter, the Bible tells us that the number of disciples multiplied greatly. And so these people who were early followers of Jesus, they had repented of their sins, they'd been baptized. What did they call themselves? The church? They called themselves disciples. What's a disciple? A disciple is a follower. If you decide to follow someone, maybe you listen to their podcast and you subscribe to their ideas, or maybe you read their books and you really, uh, you really agree substantially with what they're saying, or maybe it's a professor or some kind of politician or someone that you admire greatly and you follow and are devoted to that person's teachings and that person's ideas, you are a disciple of that person. You are a follower of that person. You sympathize and you support and you encourage that person's ideas. These people call themselves disciples of Jesus Christ. They listened to and they learned from and they followed and they obeyed Jesus. They were disciples, followers. But not just that. Turn over in your Bibles to Acts chapter 9. And notice if you would... In Acts chapter 9, verse 2, you've got the church, you've got disciples, and in Acts chapter 9, verse 2, it describes early Christians as those who were of the way. We do really well these days to just go back and using Bible terminology, Bible terms, and call Bible things by Bible names. Early Christians were called those of the way, Acts 9, verse 2. Look at Acts 9, verse 16. They were also called saints. Acts chapter 9, verse 13, excuse me. Lord, I have heard about this man, how much he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. Acts 9, verse 13. They were called those of the way. They were called saints, the holy ones, the sanctified ones, people that had been washed and were clean in the presence of God. They were saints. Contrary to what many today would teach, you don't have to die to become a saint. You become a saint when you are buried with Christ, when you become a New Testament Christian, a believer, a follower, a disciple of Jesus Christ in that covenant relationship with him. You are a saint as you live, and everybody who is baptized is a saint, according to the Bible. One more passage. If you're looking at Acts chapter 9, look again at verse 30. Acts chapter 9, verse 30. What those early Christians called themselves, they called themselves brethren, the brothers, the brothers and sisters. They were people who recognized that they were family because of what Jesus had done in their lives. 
And you take all these passages in Acts chapters 1 through 11, and what you notice is never is the term Christian used. In Acts chapter 1, all the way through the end of Acts chapter 11, you've got saints and believers and disciples and the church, and you've got people who are brethren. You've got those kinds of terms, those who are of the way. You don't have anybody being called a Christian. Christian was a late arrival in the history of the church. Oh, but it did arrive. And there are three verses in your New Testament that use the word Christian. The three verses are on the screen behind me. Acts chapter 11, verse 26, Acts chapter 26, verse 28, and 1 Peter 4, verse 16, only three New Testament references to the word Christian. And again, if we were to ask somebody today, what is a Christian? What does it mean to be Christian? We've got all kinds of ways of using that word, Christian music and Christian business and Christian ideas and Christian ethics. And what do you mean by that? What does the Bible mean by that term? That's the question we seek to answer this morning. So if you would with me, let's just look at those three occurrences of the term Christian and learn some lessons. And what I'd like to do is this. I'd like for you, in your heart of hearts, to think about what we're saying this morning. And I'd like for you to consider becoming a Christian in the Bible way, in the way that the New Testament describes it. I'd like for you to think about and give, give thought to what does it mean for me in my life to be a Christian? That's a question well worth pondering and considering. And I want you to consider that this morning. Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 11 if you would. And we'll make our first stop there as we think about the three occurrences of the word Christian. And I'd like for you to notice first of all, as you look at Acts chapter 11, the passage that Gerald read just a moment ago that there is something new happening in the city of Antioch. In verses 23 through 25 of Acts chapter 11, they are baptizing Gentiles. And this was unheard of. This had not occurred prior to Acts chapters 10 and 11 when Cornelius and his household, the first Gentile converts, were baptized. But now some folks have gone down to Antioch and they have started baptizing and teaching and baptizing Gentiles. And the church in Jerusalem isn't quite sure what to think about this because up to this point in the church's history, the church has only been made up of Jews. Only ethnic, cultural Jews have become Christians before Acts 10 and 11. But now the Gentiles are being taught and they're being baptized and they're becoming disciples and believers and, dare we say it, brethren. They're becoming those of the way. And this is just strange. And so they send Barnabas to find out what's going on in Antioch. We've got to know. And the Bible says that Barnabas comes and he listens to what's happening and he sees the grace of God and he's glad. And the Bible says he encourages them. He was genuinely glad to see God's grace and God's handiwork. And in Acts chapter 11, verse 26, he goes and finds Saul of Tarsus, who's now become the apostle Paul. When he had found him, he brought him to Antioch for a whole year. They met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. It was in Antioch, in this one city, at this one congregation, that they first started calling the disciples Christians. Christ, I-A-N, one who belongs to Jesus, who wears his name. Notice that being a Christian describes a change. 
As you think about what happened to those believers in Antioch, there was a change that took place in their lives. What changed? Incidentally, I did not make that type that small. I really didn't. So please don't complain to me. It's PowerPoint's fault. It's Bill Gates's fault. Trust me. <laughs> Send all your queries and inquiries to him because it was a lot bigger when I sent it to the, uh, the, the PowerPoint powers that be. All right. Anyway, what changed in the lives of these disciples, these, these people? In the first place, their allegiance changed. Their allegiance did. They were not loyal to anything in particular prior to knowing Jesus. But the Bible says that once Jesus had entered these people's lives and they had heard about him and they had heard his teaching and they had seen his miracles and they believed in him, they became loyal to Jesus. The scripture says in Acts 4.13 that those who listened and inquired of the apostles, they heard their boldness and they saw that they were uneducated and untrained men and they realized that these people had been with Jesus. He makes a difference in your life. And when I say someone's allegiance changes, what I mean is this. I don't know what you're loyal to, what you support, what you fight for, what you stand for, what you're passionate about. I don't know any of those things, but I do know this that when you become a Christian, you must pledge allegiance to Jesus Christ. And you must say, I will stand for what he represents. And I will be loyal to what he says is important. Their allegiance changed. And we must give allegiance to Jesus Christ first and foremost if we're genuinely going to be Christians. Their allegiance changed. What else changed? Not only their allegiance, but their actions. Acts chapter 3 verse 19 describes repentance. That was the first command that people heard when they believed in Jesus. Repent therefore and turn back so that your sins may be blotted out. Someone who is a Christian is a Christian because and by virtue of the fact that they have turned. They have repented. A Sunday school teacher was asking her class, what does repentance mean? A little boy raised his hand and said, repentance means you're being sorry for sin. And a little girl over next to him said, no, 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 that's not right. Repentance is being sorry enough to stop it. Repentance is about putting sin to death in our lives. It's about turning away from sin. And that is a big change for all of us. If we see what's wrong, if we see what's unfruitful and unprofitable and what offends God, we are to turn from it. What changed about these people in Antioch? Not only did their allegiance change, not only did they repent, but the Bible says that their purpose changed. In Acts 11, verse 23, if you're looking at the passage, the Scripture says that Barnabas encouraged them that with purpose of heart, with steadfast purpose, that they should continue to be faithful to the Lord. Their purpose in life, what they're seeking, what they're pursuing, what they're following after, those things changed because they became Christians. You know, one of the things we do today, if we're not careful, all of us can be guilty of this in our evangelistic efforts. We can be guilty of telling people that their purpose and their allegiance don't need to change. That you can be a Christian and just keep right on doing the things that you've been doing in your life and pursuing the things you've been pursuing. That's not the way the Bible describes being a Christian. You can't have both and. You can't have your cake and eat it too. If you're going to be a Christian, if you're going to be loyal to Jesus, these things have to change. My priorities, my purpose, my reason for being, my reason for existence, that changes because I want to be loyal to him. What changed? In these people in Antioch, 
their fellowship changed as well. The Jew-Gentile thing, Jews and Gentiles now being baptized into one body, and that's when they first began to be called Christians. You've got these people from different walks of life and different backgrounds, and they are becoming brethren, and they call each other brother and sister, and they call God their father. Their fellowship changed. Make no mistake about it this morning. Christianity is not just about me and God. Christianity is also about me and the people of God. And if you miss that, you're going to miss a huge part of what God's will for you is. By the way, you're also going to wither and die spiritually because no one can remain on fire and faithful and zealous in God's service for very long without the encouragement and the blessing and the fellowship that we find in the church that belongs to Jesus. The way, the believers, the saints... We have to be a part of that. It's like taking a hot coal out of a fire for a little while. What happens to that coal? The other coals stay hot. They stay red. But that coal that you drag out of the fire, it starts to grow cold and dark, doesn't it? Then you take that same coal and you push it back into the fire with the other coals. And all of a sudden it begins to warm up and it begins to glow again. That's what being a Christian is like. Fellowship with the people of God. What changed Everything changed for these people. Christianity, being a Christian, describes a change. What would it take for you to change your allegiance? What would it take for you to change your actions? Why don't you consider finding purpose and meaning and fellowship in the body of those who belong to Jesus Christ? Why don't you consider those things today? Because it's all about who Jesus is and about what he's done for you. There's a change that takes place when we become Christians. Now turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 26. Acts chapter 26. I mentioned that the word Christian is found three times in your New Testament, and we're just letting the Bible speak for itself and tell us what does this term mean. Many around us would have a lot of different ways of describing who is a Christian, how does one become a Christian, but the Bible is abundantly clear, and it doesn't take a great deal of mental effort to understand what the Bible calls a Christian. In Acts chapter 26, the Apostle Paul is making a defense before two individuals. One is called Festus. He's a Roman governor. And another one is called Agrippa. He is a king. And Festus and Agrippa, they want to hear what Paul has to say. And so Paul preaches the gospel. That's what he did everywhere he went. He preaches about Jesus and about the resurrection and about the change that took place in his own life because Jesus came into his life. And the Bible says that Festus, in Acts chapter 26, verse 24, after he has heard the defense that Paul makes, says, Paul, you're beside yourself. Much learning is driving you mad. And I kind of, when I, when I read those words, I just hear them with a chuckle, you know. Festus has been around. He's been a Roman governor for a while. He's heard a lot of crazy things. This guy's nuts. He's out of his mind. This guy is crazy. He just kind of throws that out there at Paul. And Paul says, I am not mad, most noble Festus, but I speak the words of truth and reason. The words I speak are true, 
And the words I speak are reasonable. They make sense. They are logical. Acts is a book about apologetics. Did you know that? It's a book about making a defense of our faith. And what Paul says about his faith is the things that I'm saying are right and they're true and they're reasonable. And then he goes on and talks about the prophets and what they have said. And then he turns to King Agrippa in verse 27. He says, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do believe. It's King Agrippa. He understood these things. And then Agrippa, I guess he's trying to save face with Festus, who thinks that Paul is crazy. But Agrippa says this in Acts 26, verse 28. Depending on your translation, the ESV has this on the screen behind me in teeny tiny print. It says, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? Question mark. New King James says, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. Either way, that's a fascinating statement. What is a Christian? A Christian is someone who has made a choice. Christianity, being a Christian, describes not just a change that's been made, it describes a choice that's been made. And you and I have got to make a choice one way or another. And making no choice, by the way, is still making a choice. You're choosing not to believe. You're choosing not to be loyal to Jesus. But you're still making a choice. Everybody's got to make this choice. Joshua 24, 15, Joshua looked at the children of Israel as they came into the promised land and he said this, if it is good in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve. But what he was demanding of them was that they make up their minds, that they make a choice. And what Jesus demands of you and what he demands of me is that we make up our mind, that we make a definite choice. You can choose to be a Christian, but you can also choose not to be. Choose you this day whom you will serve. First Kings 18, 21, Elijah looked at the people of Israel who were worshiping idols and worshiping God all at the same time. And he says, how long are you going to go limping between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. But at least get off the fence. Make up your mind. And I believe that if the Lord Jesus were speaking to you in person right now today, one of the things he would say to a lot of us is, you're trying to live your life on the fence. Stop it. Make up your mind. Either you're a Christian or you're not. Either you're going to be loyal to me or you're not. But I cannot abide this lukewarm faith that I see in you. Make up your mind. Decide that you're going to be a disciple, a follower, a Christian. Make up your mind. God commands us to do so. Acts twenty-two sixteen. Saul of Tarsus is waiting for someone to come and talk to him. What should I do? What words can be given to me because I've been persecuting the church? I've been persecuting Jesus himself. And Ananias comes and says to him, Here's the choice you got to make, Saul. And Saul had already made his choice, by the way, before this was even preached. Saul willingly obeyed this. But here's the choice. Here's what he had to do. And now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. Some translations have calling on the name of the Lord. How do you make the choice to become a Christian? The Bible connects becoming a Christian with baptism in water. Did you know that? 
Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins. Even after he was sorrowful and even after he had repented, Saul of Tarsus still needed his sins washed away. When did that happen? Acts 22, 16, it happened when he made the choice to be baptized. That's how someone becomes a Christian. Galatians 3.27 supports this idea. Galatians 3.27 says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. We've put on Christ when we're baptized. Sometimes people say, well, why, why do we talk so much about baptism? I don't know why it is specifically in people's lives, but I do notice this. That a lot of people in the world, as you're having a Bible study with them, they will agree, yes, I need to have faith in Jesus. Yes, I need to repent of my sins. Yes, I I need to confess the name of Jesus. But when it comes to the subject of baptism, when it comes to the subject of washing away your sins, Acts 22, 16, in the waters of baptism, people just throw up their hands and say, no, no, it can't be that. That can't mean what it clearly says it means. Why not? Jesus says, make a choice. And the way that you signal that you're making this choice is when you are obedient to his commands. You're baptized for the remission of your sins. Being a Christian describes a choice. Now turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. The last reference to the name Christian comes from Peter himself. You remember Peter as the guy who denied Jesus when he was on trial? Jesus was standing before Pilate, and outside in the courtyard, Peter was warming himself by a fire. A little girl came along and said, aren't you one of his disciples? No, 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 I don't know him. Yeah, yeah, I think you are. And some others said, yeah, you speak like a Galilean. I think you're one of his disciples. And Peter cursed and swore and said, I don't know the man. I do not believe in him. I'm not one of his disciples. And now Peter's talking to you because Peter repented. He came back to the Lord. And now Peter's talking to you, and he's talking about suffering. And he's saying, you know what? Sometimes you're going to be like me. You're going to be out in the courtyard, and somebody's going to look at you, and they're going to say, you're one of his disciples, aren't you? You belong to Jesus, don't you? You're different. Why don't you do the stuff we do? It'd help you get ahead in your career. It'd make you more popular at school. If you do what we do, you could be one of us. You could be with us. And Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 16, Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. You know what Christian describes? It describes a challenge. The challenge is this. The challenge is that it's one thing to say, I pledge allegiance to Jesus Christ. I want to follow him and I want to serve him and I want to obey him and I want to be with his people. And it's somewhat simple to do that when everybody around you in an environment like this, people are going to encourage you and they're going to say, that's a great decision. Good idea. Be a Christian. That's the best decision you could ever make with your life. Do that. And people will hug you and they'll call you brother. They'll call you sister. We're so glad you've become a Christian. But then you go into a different environment. You go to school, you go to work, you go to your friend's house. You go to some of your family members' home for Thanksgiving or Christmas or whatever. And they fold their arms. Well, what have you done? You've changed. You're different. 
being a Christian describes that challenge of being different and standing for something even when nobody else around you does. Being a Christian describes a challenge and we will not be the biblical definition of Christians if we don't see and embrace that challenge. Philippians 1, 29 and 30. It has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw, and I now hear that I still have. Now hear that I still have. The Apostle Paul was saying to the early church in Philippi, you know, suffering is part of the course, it's part of the curriculum. He says it another way in 2 Timothy 3, verse 12. He says, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution, will be persecuted. I heard a preacher one time say that you can't become a Christian, a child of God, without picking a fight with the devil. There's truth in that. When you obey the gospel, the devil gets really interested in you. He was interested in you already, but he's really interested in you, and he's going to do what he can to try to keep you from being what a Christian ought to be. All who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. In John 15, verses 19 and 20, this is what Jesus says to his apostles, and Jesus is in the, in the very throes of and about to go to the cross. Jesus says to his disciples, listen, listen to him speaking to you now. If you were of the world... The world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, and I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. And now listen to his point. It's underlined in teeny tiny print. Remember, Jesus says, remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. So I'm in good company when I suffer for being a Christian. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours, he goes on to tell his apostles. We're in good company when we realize this challenge. Another passage, Acts 5.41. Peter and John were arrested. Wasn't the first time they'd been arrested for preaching. The Bible says they beat them and then they released them. Threatened them not to speak anymore in the name of Christ. You know what their reaction was? Acts 5.41 says they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. There are going to be a lot of moments in your life when you don't suffer anything for being a Christian, and that's wonderful, that's okay, that's good. There are going to be a lot of moments in your life when being a Christian is fairly simple, it's fairly easy. We get habits and routines in our lives and being a Christian a lot of the time doesn't cost us a great deal. But there will be moments, listen to me, there will be times when Christianity might cost you everything. You think about career advancement. You think about the things that a Christian cannot compromise and cannot be a part of. And if I do these things, I won't be loyal to Jesus. But if I don't do these things, it's going to cost me. There are going to be those times in your life and the question of whether I'm a Christian or not is a question of, will I accept that challenge? Will I suffer with Jesus? When those tests come, 
He's inviting you to suffer with him. And they, in Acts 5.41, they rejoiced that they had that opportunity because they didn't have that opportunity every day. They didn't suffer every day. But they suffered sometimes because of the name of Christ. Jesus says this very plainly to all of us. He says, you are the salt of the earth. If the salt has lost its taste, if there's no difference, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's good for nothing than to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Matthew 5, verse 13. Because we belong to Jesus, there's supposed to be a difference in us. Being a Christian describes the greatest challenge that you will ever encounter. Oh, but what a thrilling, what an exciting challenge it is because when we walk with Christ through these opportunities and when we're faithful and loyal to Him, you know what happens? Paul wrote about it in Philippians 3, verses 8 through 10. Paul said, I know Christ better. And that was all he ever wanted. I want to know Christ and I want to share in His sufferings and I want to be conformed to His death. That's what I want out of life. That's my purpose, he said. That's what a Christian does. There's a change that takes place when somebody becomes a Christian. There's a choice that every one of us must make. And there's a challenge that endures in our lives because we're loyal to Jesus. When the Bible uses the term Christian, that's how it uses the term. Anything else that people add to that is just that. It's additions. It doesn't, it doesn't find its root. It doesn't find its grounding in Scripture. My question for you this morning is simply this. Will you become a Christian? In the Bible sense of the term? Will you let Jesus wash away your sins? If you're ready to make that commitment this morning, if you need to ask for prayers, won't you make your way forward while together we stand and while we sing?